Father, thank you for another day that you've blessed us with. Lord, we thank you that you have uh, got us up this morning. Thank you for uh, your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your loving kindness towards us, Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so how great your love is towards those who fear you. You love us so much, Lord. Help us to grasp it, to comprehend the incomprehensible. Lord, teach us today to know your ways. Teach us, Lord, more about you. Help us to understand who you are, what you've revealed to us in your word. So remove any hindrances, any distractions, anything that would get in the way, Lord, of us seeing you, of loving you, of growing in our love for you and for one another. So forgive us, cleanse us, wash us anew, and help us, Lord, to be more like you. Bless this message. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Title of today's message is The Faithfulness of the Lord, the faithfulness of the Lord, and believe it or not, I'm not going to be in Colossians. This is now three weeks. I I don't know how I'm doing this, but maybe next week we'll get back into Colossians. You probably already forgot all about the first chapter by now, but we'll recap it. The faithfulness of the Lord, believe it or not, it's been a year or so, if my timeline is correct, since I moved up here, and it was a, <laughs> a year. This is our birthday that uh, we moved up here, so <laughs> praise the Lord. Happy birthday. Get a birthday cake for us and blow out the candle. Um, Yeah, one year ago this week, Leah and I packed our SUVs there in Simi Valley, and we made that 13-hour trek up here, and she had all all her little plants, a hundred or so of them. I don't know how many there were, all nestled neatly in the back of her car, air-conditioned on the whole way so that they would survive the trip. We call them her little babies. She's got rid of many of them, but... They're still around the house, um, those little plants. We love them. But the last couple hours of the trip, uh, you know, we didn't have cell phone service. And some of you that have made that drive, you know, there's not cell phone service for some or most of the trip. And so the last couple hours, we had these walkie-talkies that my mom, I think my mom gave us. And we were going back and forth. She's following behind me. And as we're driving, I think it's from Oregon over into Idaho, we're just talking together about the Lord and b- about plans for the future. And we're talking about the church. And, you know, I'd say something like, let's pray for this person or let's reach out to this person or let's let's plan h- how we can best serve the church and bless the church and unite the church in Christ. And, um, and so it was just a beautiful time of this fellowship, if you will, in two different cars on walkie-talkies as we were praying for the year, years ahead, what, what the Lord would do and how we would reach the community around us. And so we left Simi when the sun was coming up and we got here as the sun was coming down. And oddly enough, when we got here, we're like, it didn't seem like that long of a trip. And maybe that's just because of our conversations or the excitement of what was in store uh, for us. And so then we pulled into the community uh, where we believed our house was, the rental, and we didn't know it, it wasn't on the GPS. The house was just built. And so I literally had to ask someone in the neighborhood who was walking his dog, do you know where Madagascar Street is? Because it's getting dark, and I don't know where the house is where we're supposed to be moving into. And he didn't know either. He's like, I, I, it sounds familiar. And so we're doing circles in the neighborhood until we finally found the house. And so, and many of you guys helped us move in. So praise God. Um, in the last year, a lot has happened. Um, some pretty significant things have happened. And Perhaps a book could be written about all the details of 
that have happened over the last year, perhaps even my whole life. Maybe a book could be written. I don't know. Maybe many of your lives as well. Um, but as I talked about last week, an open door doesn't always mean easy breezy, right? doesn't always mean smooth sailing. It doesn't always mean that things are going to go well per se, or they're going to be easy, but actually it can mean trials. It can mean heartache. It can mean pain. An open door that the Lord brings us through, perhaps many of the time, includes those things. And we looked at Second Corinthians 12 and 13 last week. Paul says, when an open door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit. An open door in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit. But praise God, he doesn't stop there. I had no rest for my spirit. Oh, let me just despair the rest of my life. Let me just tell everyone how miserable I've been because open doors have led to unrest. Now he continues, verse 14, but thanks be to God who always always leads us in his triumph in Christ. 2 Corinthians 12, 14, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. And I, I looked up that word always in the Greek. And guess what? It's, it means always, right? All of the time, every time, no matter what, in any case, without fail, Christ always leads us in triumph. We need to remember that. It needs to be at the forefront of our minds. A verse that's perhaps almost too good to be true is Romans 8:28, And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good, for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. All things, once again, always leads, a bit, uh, always leads us in triumph in Christ. All things work together for the good, and I love Romans 8, 35 through 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then Paul lists seven things. Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution, shall famine, peril, nakedness, sorn, as it is written all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered for your sake. But, he says, in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. In all these things, always. I love these passages that talk about always. All things we conquer through Christ. Second Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. Paul then says, therefore. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day and is producing for us, this momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. If you put the eternal weight of glory on one side of the scale and then on the other side of the scale, you put light afflictions, it's like a boulder and a pebble. Light afflictions, light momentary afflictions, eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And Paul does something interesting in those verses, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. He actually uses the same Greek word twice. He says, huperbole, huperbole. Now, if you know this Greek word, huperbole, it's a, su- it's a super emphatic expression. If he just used one hooperbole, it, it's kind of a word to where you're like, whoa. It means beyond measure, exceeding greatness. One translation 
translation puts it, more and more exceedingly. That's one hyperbole. More and more exceedingly. If you can think of something amazing or awesome, in this instance, an, an amazing weight of glory, and then you can think a thousand or a trillion or a million times that, way beyond that, that's one hyperbole. Paul says, hyperbole, hyperbole, far beyond all comparison. He wants us to be blown away. He's trying to put language to the fact of what God has in store for his children. One commentator states, eminent upon unto eminence, excess unto excess, hyperbole unto hyperbole, exceeding, exceedingly glorious in the highest possible degree. And he goes on to say, words cannot express this doctrine of what God has in store for his children. It's amazing. God's renewing us. He's sanctifying us. He's changing us. He's producing for us an eternal weight of glory. And so compared to that, what we go through in this life, we could say is light momentary affliction. In the moment of our struggles and of our trials, it doesn't feel light and it doesn't feel momentary, but compared to the eternal weight of glory, it doesn't, it does not compare. You know, we're kind of like a caterpillar. We're in this cocoon of life. How many of you think caterpillars are these beautiful little animals or creatures or insects? They're usually fat little, we call them slugs. They're, you know, that's like us in, in part here on this side of eternity. But God's doing a process. He's doing a work. He's transforming us. He's conforming us to his image until the beauty that will follow, like a butterfly that comes forth. Another way to put all of this is God is faithful. His faithfulness is on every page of Scripture. And the Scripture says that we are letters of Christ. And so as letters of Christ, you could say that his faithfulness is on every page of our lives. If you look back at your life, you will see, if you are a Christian, God's faithfulness throughout. The high times, the low times, the victories, the losses, the breakthroughs, the setbacks, the joys, the pains, the happy times, the heartaches, one fact remains. God is faithful. A song that I've sung for many years, it's from Psalm 36, 5 and 6. goes like this. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness stretches to the sky. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice flows like the ocean's tide. I will lift my voice to worship you, my king. I will find my strength in the shadow of your wings. As I was putting together this message, I wrote out that song. It's from Psalm 36, 5 and 6, as I said. And there was Leah in my office. She didn't know that I wrote this out. She didn't know this was in my message. I was already several pages down the line writing something else. And she gets out the song. And this was the only song she was practicing in my office the song right here, and she sang it earlier. And I was just, I almost was in tears as she chose that song, the faithfulness of the Lord. So awesome, God's faithfulness. It stretches to the sky. It's, it's never ending. It's constant. It's relentless. It's immeasurable. It's who God is. He keeps his promises. He can be trusted. I often say people will let you down. People will 
not keep their promises with you. People will turn on you. People will forsake you. Look at Jesus. Judas betrayed him. Look at Paul. He says at the end of his ministry, in his last letter, 2 Timothy, in the last chapter, he says, all have deserted me. All have deserted me. None stood with me. I'm here on trial. I'm by myself. But he says, the Lord stood with me. The Lord strengthened me. The Lord rescued me out of the lion's mouth. The Lord gave me strength to proclaim the gospel. God is faithful. It's on every page of scripture and it's on every page of our lives. Revelation 6.10, you have this picture of the saints in heaven. They've been martyred. They've been slain for the word of God and for their testimony. And this is what they're crying out in heaven. How long, O Lord, holy and true, Will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long, O Lord? They're being slaughtered down there. Lord, do something about it. And then you read through Revelation and you get to Revelation chapter 19. And it's time. God's heard their cry. It's time for judgment to come. It's time for the faithful one to show himself faithful. Revelation 19:11 I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat upon it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and wages war I see Jesus saying I hear your cry it's time now I'm faithful I keep my word I'm going to re- to react with vengeance vengeance is mine I will repay says the Lord he will make all things right. He's faithful, he's true, he can be trusted, he keeps his word, he hears our cry, and his love for us is unmatched. It's incomprehensible, it's unending. It's from Genesis to Revelation, God is faithful. And if it wasn't for the faithfulness of God, I don't know where I'd be today. Perhaps you don't know where you would be either. The Old Testament word for faithfulness is Imunah, it means firmness, steadfastness, fidelity, truth. It's closely associated with divine mercy and loving kindness. Passages that often speak about God's faithfulness in the Old Testament speak about his love, his mercy, his covenant love with the people of Israel who constantly disobeyed him, constantly went went astray. And he says, yet I am faithful to you, Israel. I'm faithful to your offspring. I will be faithful to you and the Messiah, Christ Jesus, who he is faithful to us today in, even though at times we go astray in our hearts. He calls us back to himself. You know, if there was a, you know, in high school they had this thing called the you know, the most likely to succeed in the yearbook, they say they have these different polls and whatnot, most popular, this and that, most likely to succeed. Um, these are the valedictorians. This is the class president. If they had one that was most likely to never stand in front of people and talk for the rest of his life, I would have got that award. Okay. I was the quiet one. I was the one that I would never raise my hand. I would never say a word. I would never talk, never wanted to. But it's the faithfulness of the Lord that when we trust him, you know, he'll take us to places we never imagined. And so it's by God's grace and by his faithfulness, I'm here today. 
So God's been faithful to me. He's been faithful to my wife, to our, our marriage, which going on 12 years next month. Praise the Lord for that. And given us three kids and continues to provide for us. He's been faithful to strengthen us, to protect us, to forgive us, to provide, as I mentioned, to care for us. But there's one aspect of faithfulness in the scripture that perhaps we don't tend to think of that often. I want you to turn to Psalm 119, verse 67 with me. I want to talk today about three ways the Lord has taught me faithfulness. Three ways in which the Lord has taught me faithfulness throughout my lifetime, but particularly over the last year. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 67. Here's an aspect of faithfulness we don't tend to think of. It says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The arrogant have forged a lie against me. With all my heart I will observe your precepts. Their heart is covered with fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted that I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Your hands made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. May those who fear you see me and be glad because I wait for your word. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous and in faithfulness you have afflicted me. That's point number one. In faithfulness, the Lord afflicts. We don't tend to talk like that, do we? And in faithfulness, the Lord afflicted me. We don't tend to share that with others when we're talking about God's faithfulness. It tends to be God's been faithful to bless me with this or that. God's been faithful to maybe give me a spouse or open this house up for me or open this job up for me or bless me with this in this way or that way. The psalmist says the Lord has been faithful to afflict me. He says it's good for me, verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted. He says in verse 67, I was going astray. I went astray, but now I keep your word because of the affliction. Many scholars, commentators believe David wrote Psalm 119. Can you imagine committing, a, committing adultery and murder and lies and deceit and covering it up for months and months and months and going on, on with your life as if everything's okay? Until a prophet walks into the king's palace and stares you right in the face and tells you this parable and then turns the parable around and it's about you and says, you are the man. You repent. How does that feel? It's like a dagger to one's heart. That brought affliction. That brought pain. And God didn't stop there. He then took David's child. David went in and fasted and sackcloth and cried out to the Lord and said, if it be your will, save this child. And the Lord said, I'm taking this child. And God didn't stop there. For the rest of David's life, the sword never left his house. He had constant trials, constant conflict. His own son tried to take over the kingdom and then died in battle, which David said, don't kill my son. Whatever you do, told his commanders of his army, don't touch my son. And they wiped his son out, and that brought David even more heartache, more affliction. 
Yet it was the afflictions that caused David to turn back to the Lord. He was going astray, and in faithfulness, God afflicted him, I believe particularly with Nathan, with taking his child to say, return to me. This is a wake-up call. This is like cold water splashed in your face. If God wasn't faithful, he would have let David continue to live on how he was. He wouldn't have brought the prophet to him. He wouldn't have afflicted him. He would have allowed him to prosper. And many people prosper and are blessed with material things and with things in this world and think, oh, this is from the Lord. I'm blessed. God can bless in that way, but if we're living in sin and we're not living for the Lord and then we're thinking that just because things seem to be going our way in life, that it's from the Lord. No, actually in faithfulness, the Lord afflicts those who drift from him. Psalm 119.50 says, This is my comfort in my affliction, that your word has revived me. Psalm 119.107, I'm exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Now in scripture, affliction is not only always tied to sin. Paul was afflicted almost as much as any man. Job, same thing. They were both righteous. Jesus was afflicted more than anyone. He was perfect. So we don't always tie affliction to sin. In this passage, he's going astray, and the Lord afflicted him in his faithfulness to bring him back. But the Lord can even afflict those who are righteous to draw them even closer to himself. As Paul says in Philippians 3, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection to share in his sufferings in order that I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Christ in such a way that I'll share in his sufferings to know him more intimately. And it's the people that suffer. It's the people that go through heavy things in life that know Christ at a whole nother level than those who have never suffered in those kind of ways. You know, when Leah and I were praying about coming up to Idaho and it was actually a prayer that was on and off for many years I think some thought we just I lost my job and some I think a couple some people might have thought oh he just prayed a prayer and was like oh I'm just going to move to Idaho and that's really not how it happened it was it was years of prayer many people were asking us for years hey you should consider moving to Idaho and it wasn't necessarily to be part of the church and serving the church and leading the church it was just how all the great things about Idaho and that it was a lot cheaper as well than California and the politics and on and on and on, right? But on and off for years, we were praying about it, and those prayers intensified um, and interestingly went hand-in-hand with trials that were going on in my job to where at one point my job said, if you just change a couple things, you can stay. Um, Some of them actually were not wanting me out of the company, even people in HR. Nick, we'll work with you. We'll, we'll allow you to stay. Um, just do this and that. I just got a pay increase. Things were going well for me, and I could have done those things, but I said, no, Lord, I need to honor you. And right around the same time as we we're praying for God's will in our life, whatever that would be, that's the strong desire was for us to move up to Idaho to be part of this church, to serve the church. And with that call and with those prayers and with the desire came this motivation to want to go deeper into the word to just seek the lord daily to meditate on his word to memorize his word to preach his word to go proclaim his word to get the word out and i never understood i guess the depth and the complexity of the affliction that would come with that and it came in 
as many of you know, in some of the deep, deep trials, one specifically that we've gone through as a fellowship and losing someone that was dear to all of us. And so here we see in Psalm 119, a man who was deeply afflicted as well. But he says, it was good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. I love Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And you say, how does God deliver the righteous from their afflictions? Ten verses in Psalm 119, I believe, answer this question over and over again. And you can write these down or just follow along or listen to my voice. Psalm 119, 25. My soul cleaves to dust. Revive me according to your word. Verse 28. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. Verse 50. This is the comfort in my affliction that your word has revived me. Verse 81. My soul languishes for your salvation. I wait for your word. Verse 92. If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. Verse 143. Trouble and anguish have come upon me, yet your commandments are my delight. Verse 147. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for your words. Verse 161. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. And finally, verses 169 and 170. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my supplication come before you. And here it is. Deliver me according to your word. That's where the deliverance comes, through God's word, knowing his word, meditating on his word, being strengthened and revived and delighting and grant being granted understanding according to his word and sometimes I think or we can think there's got to be another way right there's got to be this magic pill I'm going through all these trials I've got it and he's like it's prayer and the word the prayer and the word I heard a pastor he said his wife was speaking at a conference and one of the ladies came up to the pastor after and she's like and she's like your wife taught at the conference and it just seemed like the whole time she was just saying read the word read the word meditate on the word pray and he's like, she's like, isn't that redundant? And he's like, no, go do that. Like, and it just seems so simple. And God makes it simple and we make it complex. Meditate on his word, wait on his word, be strengthened by his word, be revived by his word. And everything in this world is trying to get our eyes and our ears and our minds and our attention off of his word. Everything. So many things. And it's this constant battle, even in my own life. More of his word, Lord. And that's why I'm like, let's come on, guys, let's memorize Psalm 34. And it's not a contest, and it's not who can memorize the most scripture just to say, look what I've done. It's so that we can know the Lord and be strengthened by his word and be ready for the afflictions and the trials and the things that will come our way. So that when you do find yourself in prison, like Richard Wormbrandt for 12 years and three years in solitary confinement, he said he preached a sermon every night. He meditated on the word every night. That's what got him through it. They're drugging him up, throwing him in a freezer, taking him out of the freezer. He's laying next to rats. He's on the brink of death day after day, and he's just preaching to the Lord in his cell, meditating on God's word, 
quoting scripture. That is Psalm 34, 19 on display. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. That's how he delivers through his word. It's the sword of the spirit. It's the word of God. Love his word. Meditate on his word. Last week when I was in Texas, I was getting ready to preach at Greg's memorial, and I was just holding God's word in the back of the sanctuary, and I was just meditating on the passage with Gideon and how Gideon said, No, Lord, I'm the least in the tribes of Judah. I'm a youth. I'm from Manasseh. Choose someone else, not me, Lord. And the Lord says, I will strengthen you. I will go with you. And I, just, I was just meditating on those two verses, holding on to those two verses, and a guy came up to me, and he goes, I always respect someone who's got a Bible who's worn out, something along those lines, and he shook my hand, and I said, thank you. And perhaps it's leaving my Bible in the car on hot days or cold days or reading it by the beach with the salt water, so it, it maybe looks a little bit more worn out than it is. I don't know. I kind of like it when it looks like that, but if you look at Ray Comfort's Bible, it's like this thick. You can actually see it online o after, I think, 40 years of reading it and traveling all over the world with it. it has, it's expanded. I don't know how he still reads out of it, but like Peter in John 6:68, he says, Lord, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. That's kind of how I am. It's like, I don't know where else to go. When life gets hard, when I'm going through trials, when things get difficult, I don't know where else to go. I know that nothing in this world is truly going to help me. So I'm constantly going back to his word. I'm constantly clinging on his word. I'm constantly saying, Lord, show me something in your word. Give me something. And I believe the more we have that kind of heart towards the Lord, the more he's going to answer us. And it might not be in the exact way that we want. It might not be the exact scripture we want. But he's going to satisfy us. He's going to give us the words that we need. It's like Jacob in Genesis 32 when he's wrestling with that angel and he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. No, I'm not letting you go. I need a blessing from you. And I, that's how we need to be with the word of God. When we're reading it, like, Lord, I'm, I'm not letting this go until I get something out of this. Okay, I'm not get letting this go until you feed my soul. I'm trusting you. This is faith on display. I'm putting faith in action, Lord. You tell me to read your word and meditate on it, and I need it right now. So fill my soul with something, Lord, and read a passage, read a chapter, and just chew on it and meditate on it and allow him to speak to you through his word. As I was thinking back over the past year, as I was putting together this message, I thought about how I was working at challenger school i've shared some of those stories throughout the past year with you guys and working with these kids and i'd pull up in the parking lot 15 20 minutes before school would start and i would just get my bible out and say and do what i'm basically telling you guys today lord give me a word today i'm just going to read a chapter lord give me something i've got 300 400 kids in the school i've got teachers and staff i want to bless people lord i want to be a light i don't feel like going in there right now okay it's 25 degrees out, Lord. I'm in my car in the heater, and it's about to get really cold. I'm about to go outside for an hour and a half, and everything in my body wants to complain right now because I grew up in Southern California, and it's not 25 degrees in the winter there. It's a little different here, and I got to get used to this, and I'm not quite used to this yet, and I'm in a suit and tie, and I'm not dressed properly, and I don't know how to dress properly, okay? I'm still learning that, and so 
I'm just telling you, this is the battle I'm going in with. If I'm not clinging to his word, I'm getting out of that car and I'm going in there with a bad attitude. I'm probably going to yell at the first kid. And that's actually been told to me. One of the guys the year before yelled right in a kid's face and he, they, fi they fired him as far as I understand. He made the kid pee his pants and it was a bad scene. And believe me, after days and days of working there and kids, preschoolers, you know, biting on your ankles and being out in the cold and then the principal or someone calls you into their office and you think they're going to praise you for something. You're like, oh, am I going to get like a like a little badge of honor or a bonus? And it's like, oh, you're, you have a write up today. And you're like, well, where am I? Like, I'm getting written up for what? And so through all these trials, I call them light afflictions, right? You might say, oh, working out of school, that's not that hard. God brings trials in different ways to different people. You might be a stay-at-home mom and be like, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Another stay-at-home mom might be like, I love this job. This is pretty easy for me. Well, our trials are different. The things we go through in life are different. But one thing remains, we need his word daily. And we need his word to get us through the trials that come our way. And praise God, he was faithful. I told you I would go out in the playground and sing during the lunch break, and I would just sing praise and worship songs. And one kid looked at me, what are you singing? And I said, oh, a Christian song. And he, like, laughed and ran away. And it was like, okay, that's fine. Other kids I'm just sharing the gospel with. And who knows if it's stuck. I'm just trying to plant seeds however I can. And the Lord will use it how he wills. So God is good. Cling to his word. Love his word. And in faithfulness, he will afflict us at times, but in faithfulness, he will deliver us through his word. Point number two. The Lord is faithful to show his goodness to those who wait for him. He's good to those who wait for him. Do any of you guys like to wait? Like to wait for things? You do really good when whatever it is. You think of waiting. Recently, I was in and out of airports, a lot of waiting. And people just get antsy. You know, you could be in TSA waiting and your flight's not for six hours, but still it's like, who wants to wait in a line? I don't, and it's hard for, there's just something in our nature where we don't like to wait. It's hard to wait. And as one of the planes was landing recently, it took like 10 to 15 minutes to get off the plane. And perhaps that's happened to you before. You're just sitting in there. You're like, yeah, okay, the plane landed, time to get off. And you're looking around and people are standing there going to grab their luggage and that. And it's like they're still standing there 10 minutes later, and they're like, okay, like, and one lady finally behind me, she finally screamed something to the effect of, are we going to stay on this plane all day long? Like, what is going on? Can we get off the plane? And she's, like, screaming in the back of me. And I told Leah the best thing I did on this last trip was I brought earplugs. And it spared me a lot of <laughs> affliction this trip, actually. I had a little kid screaming next to me for a whole, one of the whole plane rides, and but this lady, she wanted to get off the plane, and rightly so. It's hard to wait. Now, when you read the scripture, the Israelites were waiting in, in the wilderness. Talk about that in just a second. But they were waiting 70 years. They were in Babylonian captivity 70 years because of their sin. Judah was taken captive, and Jeremiah felt their pain. He writes a whole he writes the whole book of Jeremiah, right, detailing that, but also this letter of lament, and it's called Lamentations. Turn with me to Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19. Now, if you're like me, you 
are probably asking yourself right now, where's Lamentations as you're turning in the Bible? And an easy way to find it is just to find the big book of Jeremiah and then go one book to the right. Lamentations chapter 3. And we find a little glimmer of hope in this dark book. Lamentations 3.19 verse 26. He says, remember my affliction and my wandering. The wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to mind. Therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease. His loving kindnesses indeed never cease. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. Imagine preaching for years and years and years for people to repent. And because you want to honor God and you love him, you're preaching for year after year after year for people to repent and they don't listen to you. They don't honor you. They don't respect you. They're not for you. They're actually against you. They actually throw you into a pit. They actually throw you into jail. They actually persecute you. And then after that, the prophecies that you've been preaching come to pass. They're fulfilled. And exactly the things that you're preaching happen. And then they continue to persecute you as you continue to see your brothers and your sisters destroyed. You continue to see the city and the nation that you love be destroyed right in front of you. You continue to see people die all around you, children in the streets starving to death, famine plagued the land. And then Jeremiah says in Lamentations 5, 9, we get our bread at the risk of our lives. Just to find some bread, he says, we're even risking our lives for that. And in the midst of all that, he says, great is your faithfulness. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. In his heart, he wants this restoration to come to pass right now. He wants the people to be restored to Israel right now. Yet he knows the Lord is good. He knows they deserve what they've gotten, and he's going to continue to trust the Lord. You know, it was the inability to wait in Genesis, actually Exodus 32, that led to the great sin that we saw there. Moses went up to the mountain with the Lord 40 days, 40 nights. There Moses is on Mount Sinai, and it says in Exodus 32, 1, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down the mountain, that they assembled about Aaron and said to him, come make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, we don't know what's happened to him. He brought us up from the land of Egypt, but we don't know where he is now. We're not going to wait for him any longer. Let's just live for ourselves. And the Bible says they stood up to play. They're dancing. Aaron constructed this golden calf. Moses comes down the mountain. He throws down the tablets. He breaks them. And he says, whoever's on the Lord's side, come over here. And you know the passage, right? The Levites all run over to him. And he says, go throughout the town and wipe people out. 3,000 people died on that day, which all began with them unwilling to wait upon the Lord. And we see that throughout the 40 years in the wilderness. They didn't want to wait on the Lord. God says, I'm testing you. I'm testing you. Wait on me. I'll deliver. And they wanted everything here and now. Why don't we just go back to Egypt? And that's a picture 
of us. I don't want to wait on you, Lord. I want it here and now. I'm in the trial. Get me out of this. No 70 years, no 40 years in the wilderness, not even a couple months. I don't even know if I can wait till this evening. I need it right now, Lord. And that can be us. And so we need to read these things and say, Lord, help me to wait on you. Whatever you're doing, it's for my good and for your glory. You cause all things to work together for the good. So I'm trusting you. I don't understand. I don't know why. Lord, help me to trust you. Ironically, Moses was waiting on the Lord 40 days, 40 nights. He's waiting on God. And in Exodus 32, he says, show me your glory. And God says, I'll have my goodness pass before you. I think that's a fulfillment of what we're reading here. The Lord is good to those who wait on him. And then we see in Jeremiah 32, Jeremiah chapter 32, Jeremiah's in the pit. He's literally thrown into prison. King Zedekiah says, I don't want to hear it anymore. No more prophecies about destruction. Only good prophecies. You're going to prophesy? Prophesy like Bethel Church. They actually say that today. If you're going to prophesy, we only prophesy good things here. We only prophesy encouraging things. If you prophesy negative things, if you prophesy things of judgment or anything like that, then get out of here. Jeremiah, read the whole book of Jeremiah. That's all he was prophesying. God said, go tell them I'm going to judge them. Go tell them to repent. The Babylonians will come in, and if they don't listen, they will be destroyed. And his sons were killed in front of him, and God plucked out his eyes, and he went in to captivity because he would not listen to Jeremiah. So here's Jeremiah in this pit. He's in this cell, and God's word came to him. And God said, go buy a field. This is what I want you to do, Jeremiah. Go buy a field. Imagine that. The whole land is destroyed, 70 years of captivity, and you're going to buy a field? And then his uncle shows up and says, buy my field. And then Jeremiah says, okay, I guess this really is the word of the Lord. And so as I was looking this morning into this a little bit, I thought of the Salton Sea. I've been to the Salton Sea in Southern California. It's actually the biggest lake in California, bigger than Lake Tahoe or any of the other lakes, if that's what you want to call it. It was a runoff of the Colorado River in the 50s and the 60s, and farmers were using some of the water, and it turned into this, I don't know the whole history of it, but it turned into this big Salton Sea lake. And in the 50s and 60s, it had resorts, and people would flock to it, and it was like the up-and-coming thing. Buy your plot of land on the Salton Sea. Move to the Salton Sea. Well, come 70s, 80s, 90s, there was, let's just say, nasty runoff from Mexico pouring into the Salton Sea and other nastiness running into the sea and no real outlet, and so the fish started to die, and everything started to die. And then flies started to swarm all upon the Salton Sea, and it turned into the, maybe the Dead Sea would be a better name for it. And I actually have visited there dropping off a patient from an, the ambulance company, and I opened the back doors and flies just flooded the ambulance hundreds of flies and so I looked this morning and you can actually buy a plot of land on the Salton Sea you can buy a quarter acre for $38,000 right on the Salton Sea uh, they have the names of the streets like Hawaii Oahu Lane and Honolulu Lane and and you know uh, on Zillow it said lots of potential as you can build the home of your dreams on the Salton Sea and I think $38,000 is even overpriced that's probably on the high end. That will probably sit on the market for a while. In 2020, in Palm Springs Life magazine, it stated the Salton Sea derives its fame as the biggest environmental disaster in California history. 
it's a complete disaster and they're still trying to do projects and fix up this lake and but imagine so here's the correlation imagine someone tells you go buy a plot of land on the Salton Sea it's going to be beautiful it's going to be like Lake Tahoe one day and you're thinking no way I don't want to spend money on that and then years go by and then it's like a Lake Tahoe and your land's worth millions of dollars and you're like wow that's awesome perhaps that's a picture and a sense of what's going on in Jeremiah's day okay Lord I'm going to obey you this land is devastated it's destroyed it's disgusting I'm going to buy this plot of land and what did God do God kept his word God is faithful he brought his children back into the land and if you look at Israel today there they are back in the land that's never been done before in the history of the world that God brings a nation that was dispersed for thousands of years back to the homeland God is faithful and God is still crying out to his people today to turn to him and live because that's how faithful he is he's brought them back in unbelief many of the Jews don't believe but many of them are coming to the Lord through the gospel of Jesus Christ so he's faithful to us we need to now be faithful to him we need to get out and spread the message who here would be here today if nobody shared with you if nobody loved you if nobody pointed you to the word of God where would we be so we need to have that same kind of love and get the word out to others you know if we have a ton of food and there's people around us starving to death and we're walking around with bags of bread and bags of food and we don't feed them what would people think of us be like man you are so selfish as we're walking by and I thought of that the other day and it's like spiritually we we can do that all the time spiritually we're just full spiritually we have so much in the Lord and people around us are starving to death spiritually and we can just go on with our lives and do our own thing and think nothing of it so we need that constant conviction we need that constant encouragement okay why am I here why am I still alive what am I doing for the Lord or else we can kind of just coast our way into eternity Jeremiah 32 41 says I will rejoice over them God says to do them good I will faithfully plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul God has been faithful in the last year of my life and when I look back over my life there's been many challenges many wastelands many captivities if you will but as I get ready to bring this to a close one thing remains God is faithful I love Isaiah 49 31 those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength they will mount up with wings like eagles they will run and not get tired they will walk and not become weary though that's a promise for those who wait on the Lord the last point I wanted to make today is that God is faithful to provide a family God's been faithful to provide a family Recently, I asked Leah, I said, honey, would you move up to Star if you didn't know anyone? I said something like, what would it be like if we were to move up here and without the church, without our brothers and sisters in the Lord? And we both answered, we would never do that. Or we couldn't imagine doing that. And so, you know, Leah calls some of you her comfort zone, her safety net, if you will. And that's how we feel towards you guys. You're like our safety net, our comfort zone. We know that we can go to you guys for prayer and for, you know, that you'll be there to encourage us. And that's mutual, right? That's what we're here for. We're a family. And I always say life can get so busy that we can forget the basic things about our faith and who we are. 
and we can also maybe lose track or forget how much we have in Christ. That people that perhaps if we weren't part of this family, we'd all be in different directions in life. Yet I can go up to people in fellowship that I'm not related to and hug on them and love on them and talk to them and encourage them and invite them into my house and you invite me into your house all because of Christ. And we can forget what a miraculous thing that is that Christ has done in and through us through the gospel. I love Philippians 4.14. Paul says, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my afflictions. You have done well to share with me. And it's that word, soon koinonia. You've done well to fellowship with me. You've done well to participate with me. When one weeps, we all weep. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. When one's hurting, we all hurt. And so families, they pray together, they laugh together, they weep together. They play cornhole together. I was humbled playing cornhole the other day. I don't want to talk about it, but just thinking back over the last year, and Kenny and I had some great cornhole games, and then the other day I I lost one and with someone else, and that shows you that it was Kenny. I think that was the one holding up our, t- our team. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not going to play again unless Kenny's with me. But I was just thinking back over the last year and some of the the great memories and some of the hard things that we've been through and you know it's been great that God has given us you guys as a family and so my prayer is that we continue to grow closer together we continue to unite in the faith as it says in the scriptures to preserve and be diligent to preserve the unity and the bond of the spirit in Christ so that's my prayer moving forward that God would continue to use us for his glory unite us together and bless us in Christ as we serve him because God is faithful